Are you ready? If you are, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to dive into verses 1 through 10. While you're turning there, let me bring up two points just as an introduction. First point is, let me read to you a quote from a full gospel preacher. He writes, The law of Moses is sufficient enough to bring a person into the knowledge of God until God gives him a greater revelation. Everyone else, whether Buddhist or Baha'i, needs to believe in Jesus, but not Jews. I mean, did you hear that? And this is from the pastor of a church of over 20,000 people. Uh, This man has written, I don't know how many books. He's got a TV network and everything else. And when I read that this morning, I I thought to myself, has he ever read the book of Galatians? Has he ever read it all the way through? Has he read those verses and acts that we've gone through? Because if he has, I don't know where he gets this idea that Jews do not need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that is error. That's totally wrong. And if you don't see that now, by just what we've gone through so far in Galatians, you're sure to see it in chapters 2, 3, and 4. So, you know, if you're wondering through some of these messages, well, I don't know uh, how circumcision and all the rest really have to do with 21st century believers, well, you can go back to this quote because it does have a lot to do with 21st century believers. The next point I want to... Uh, to make was about being grafted in. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about Gentile believers being grafted in into Israel or into believing Israel. And the point I want to make about that is when Paul writes his letters, whether it's to Galatians, Corinthians, um, Romans, or, or all the rest, He writes using Hebrew scriptures, and most of his audience is Gentile believers. Not Jewish believers, but Gentile believers, but he writes like we're supposed to know the Hebrew scriptures, and the thing is, we are. We're supposed to know the Hebrew scriptures in light of redemption. Because why? We've been grafted in. So, Uh, So that's something to think about, Uh, that's something to keep in mind as we dive into Galatians, because once we get through this message and part of the next one, Paul starts referring back again and again and again to Old Testament scriptures. And the thing is, he thinks that we're supposed to know them. Even though we're Gentiles, we were outside the commonwealth of Israel with no hope, uh, with no hope and no, without God in the world, he says in Ephesians. So, so when we talk about, when Paul writes about the law of Moses and New Testament believers, we should be familiar with the Old Testament covenants, the Hebrew scriptures and the like, to understand what he is talking about. And really, so we understand the redemptive narrative of Scripture. 
Jesus did not just fall out of the sky one day, uh, you know, unexpected, and all of a sudden there's salvation for everybody, and God just had folded up the Old Testament and saying, well, that just didn't work, even though some people preach that. No, actually, if you look through the whole narrative, God has been working on redemptive history ever since uh, Adam and Eve sinned. And then you go all the way through to the book of Galatians. So you keep those things in mind as we go through the book of Galatians, as we go through these scriptures. Now, today's message, verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2, are kind of like going up uh, the ascent of a roller coaster. I live over by a Six Flags park, and that park has about uh, five or six roller coasters, and they all work about the same way. You know, you get in the car and the car kind of takes you out, and then the next thing you know, you're on this, uh, this steep ascent up to get to the crest of this big hill that's going to take you all the way through the roller coaster, the ride of your life, so to speak. But in order to get on to the ride of your life, you have to go up this ascent. And the ascent, while it's not all fireworks and everything else, the ascent is essential. And these verses are essential to give us some background information, to give us a frame of reference before we hit uh, Galatians 2.11, which starts all the fireworks and starts all the, the, the steep curves and the turns and the loops and everything else. So let's go ahead and dive into these. Um, and let me say this too. Uh, Years and years ago, when I would read through Galatians, and especially these verses 1 through 10, I wouldn't think too much about them. It's kind of like, well, this is just some, you know, just some background material that really doesn't get into the meat of the gospel. Well, you think that way until you really dive in and you see why Paul is writing what he's writing. Like I said, it's a setup. It is a, it's an ascent to get to the crest of the hill because Things, things get wild at the crest of the hill, hill starting at verse 11. So let's go ahead and read, and I hope that you follow along in your Bible because the text is key. Text is supreme. Amen. So let's go ahead and read through once, and then we'll dig in. Paul writes this, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, 
Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, or Peter and John, seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So that is some background information of Paul going to Jerusalem that he's providing to the Galatian believers. Remember that the Galatian believers had these rivals come in and start, uh, who started distorting the gospel of Christ that Paul had preached before. Now, Paul doesn't say it, but the implication is that the rival teachers came from Jerusalem. They were Jewish believers, and so they probably, you know, looked behind their shoulders, pointed behind their shoulders to the Galatian believers and said, hey, Jerusalem approves of us. And because Jerusalem approves of us, we're telling you, go get circumcised, come under the law of Moses. That's the only way you can be saved. You saw that, we read that in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 5. Now let's go ahead and start reading with verse 1. Paul says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. On the surface, that doesn't mean too much, but actually there's a lot in here. Let me introduce you, first of all, to Barnabas. In Acts 9, Luke writes this about Barnabas and Paul. And when he had come to Jerusalem, speaking of Paul, He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. The the disciples at Jerusalem thought he was faking it in order to persecute them, you know. But in verse 27, Luke writes, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So you see that Barnabas introduced the Apostle Paul to the apostles at Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that Barnabas was Jewish. Let me uh, go over to Acts 11. Luke writes this, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul. This is later on. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So you see that Barnabas actually had a lot to do with Paul's ministry, introduces him to the apostles in Jerusalem, and then takes him, finds him after a while, um, later on finds him, and then brings him back to the church at Antioch, which becomes prominent in the next message. Now going back to verse 1, Paul writes that, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Barnabas is Jewish. He's circumcised. And then Paul says, taking Titus along with me. Thing is, Titus is not Jewish. He's not circumcised. And so what you have really is a picture of the body of Christ. You have two Jewish men, 
Paul and Barnabas, walking along with Titus. Titus is a Gentile, and they are all what? They are all members of the body of Christ, and they're going up to Jerusalem. Let's go down to verse 2. Well, let me say this before we go to verse 2. What Paul is setting up here is the kind of showdown that we see in the book of Galatians. We see Jew and Gentile together, but the Gentile does not have to be circumcised. We're going to get into that uh, with Titus. But with the Galatian believers, what the rivals are saying, come under the law and be circumcised. So let's go into verse 2. Paul writes this, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now let's break that down a little bit. He says he goes up because of a revelation, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ that he received. And we went through that in chapter one. He sets that out. And then he says, set before them. And it's kind of like uh, the Greek word there is almost like setting a table before them. He's not seeking their approval. He's not saying, okay, I've got this gospel here. You know, what parts do I need to, to cut out? What parts do I need to add in? No, he's setting it out in front of them. This is what I preach among the Gentiles pursuant to the revelation that I received. And he says, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, that might seem kind of blind to us, but that's a reference, that's an allusion to Isaiah 49. And again, like I said, Paul expects us to understand the Hebrew scriptures in light of redemption. In Isaiah 49, uh, it's part of the servant songs, or what we today call the servant songs. And actually, you can see Jesus in the servant songs. But that being said, that's not to say that the servant songs couldn't be applied to Paul and his ministry. So what he's referring to is Isaiah 49, 4. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and read it. Well, let me go back uh, to verse 2. Let me read from verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then verse 4, it says, But I said, I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. That's what Paul is getting to, because at the end of verse 6, Isaiah says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And Paul sees the end of verse 6 as pertaining to his ministry. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and says, I want you to take my gospel to the Gentiles. In other words, I want you to be a light for the nations. And in fact, Paul talks about turning them from darkness to light uh, in his account of Jesus appearing to him. Jesus saying to him, turn them from darkness to light. So you have in Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And Paul sees that calling, but then he also sees in verse 4, he said, 
hey, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And in letter after letter, that's a big concern of his. Have I run in vain? Have I worked in vain about you? And so he says that here in Galatians 2.2. He said, this is the gospel that I'm proclaiming. I went up in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. In the, in the context, what he basically is saying is, I presented my gospel to the apostles in Jerusalem to make sure that they weren't out to undermine what I am preaching, that they are not out to snuff out the revelation of Christ that I've had. That's why he says that there. Now, you go to the parenthetical in the ESV, and Paul says, though privately before those who seemed influential. And you see throughout this, uh, these verses that he keeps his distance from the apostles. And that's because he's not seeking their permission. He's received a revelation, and he sets out his gospel before them. And you know, if they all stood up and said, well, we don't believe it, he didn't care because he's got his gospel that he's preaching. He is concerned that they will try to undermine it, but that goes towards more of running in vain than it does the gospel itself, if you get that. Now let's go to Galatians 2.3. He says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now this is key in this set of passages here because... Paul has set out his gospel before the apostles. He said, this is it. This is what I received as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that includes what? That includes Gentiles not coming in under the law. So in verse 3, it's, But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled or forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So what Paul is signaling to the Galatian believers and to the rest of us is that when he presented his gospel to the apostles, the apostles gave him the thumbs up, even though he wasn't looking for it, but they approved the gospel that he was preaching. It's like, all right, you did get a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this demonstrates that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. So you have Barnabas with Paul, who is Jewish, and you have Titus, who is with Paul. So you have a Jew and Gentile together with Paul, and there's no division. There's no second-class citizens in the body. There's no second-class members of the body. They are both even Stephen when it comes to Jews and Gentiles. Now, what happens? We read verses 4 and 5. says, uh, Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what's going on here? Paul uses military language. He says, basically, false brothers have invaded our ranks to enslave our free citizens. What is he talking about? Well, he calls these people false brothers. 
secretly brought in because they are distorting or perverting the gospel of Christ. And you saw that in chapter 1. What are they saying? They're saying what we saw in Acts 15, verses 1 and 5, that new believers have to come in under the law of Moses to be saved. Really, that nothing had changed. Sure, there might have been a resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's kind of like a side issue. You know, Paul never says what their position was on the death, burial, and resurrection, except that the law of Moses was supreme. And the thing about it is they got the law of Moses all wrong. Even though they were Jews, even though they were Pharisees, it's kind of like Paul got the law of Moses all wrong before his road on uh, his road to Damascus experience. So he calls them false brothers or traitors because they're distorting the gospel that he's preaching. And then he says that they were secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Now, Freedom versus slavery is huge in Galatians. And this is the first time he mentions it. Okay, step back a minute. I mean, what is he saying here? And what he's saying here is controversial. I mean, you know, we usually breeze over this, say, yeah, yeah, we have freedom in Christ. But look what he's saying here. He's talking about brothers in Christ. He calls them traitors, false brothers, He says, they want to bring us into slavery. Well, what is the message that they're preaching? They're preaching that new believers have to come in under the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well, how does that work? Because in Romans, Paul says the law of Moses was just and good and holy. So there's got to be something to that. On the surface, it would look like Paul is inconsistent. You know, the law is uh, just and good and holy in Romans, but here he's saying, oh, wait a minute, it brings us into slavery. But when you get into the gospel, you see what he's talking about. Chapters 2 and 3, we're diving in. Amen. Now, let me say this, this slavery that Paul is talking about, It's not just simply the Gentiles who would be enslaved. It would be Jewish believers also. And I'll give you a hint about that. The Jews, ethnic Jews, they were in exile. And and we're going to get into that in Deuteronomy. They didn't follow the law. They were in exile. And in exile, they were enslaved by nations. And being enslaved by nations, they were spiritually enslaved by hostile powers. So I say that to whet your appetite for what we're going to get into later on in Galatians. So Paul says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's concerned about the truth of the gospel. And with the truth of the gospel, he doesn't give anybody an inch There's no negotiation, there's no mediation, there's no complacency. He is concerned about the truth of the gospel because that determines the walk of faith. 
Amen. So Galatians 2.6, he writes on and says, from those who seem to be influential, again, he is keeping his distance. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. He's including the false brothers and also the apostles. Why? Because he had a revelation. He said, they added nothing to me. He was demonstrating that his revelation was not going to be shortchanged. Now, this is something interesting even uh, for today. You know, today in Christianity, we, we have what we consider to be maybe the uh, God's generals. You know, you hear all about this Christian leadership. And in fact, a lot of time it's touted uh, as you need to pay your dues and then God will promote you into Christian leadership like you were something. Well, you know that, uh, that full gospel pastor that I quoted at the beginning of the message with his big church and publishing empire and TV empire? If you plopped him in front of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul would say, he adds nothing to me. He means nothing. Why? Because there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There are certain people who are chosen to be gifted, to have giftings. Those giftings are not for the person's benefit. They're for the benefit of the body of Christ. If somebody is uh, gifted or entrusted to, uh, to be an apostle, that's not, that's not for that person's benefit. In fact, Paul was like that all the way through his letters. He called himself an apostle, but he was entrusted with the gospel. It wasn't something for him. It was something for the body of Christ. So here in uh, verse 6, he says, From those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. We need to employ that in the culture, the Christian culture today. God shows no partiality. There might be some who have some giftings of teaching or whatever, but they are on the same level as everybody else. No one in the body of Christ has a corner office. Amen. And you see, that is contrary, or that's contrary to the world, isn't it? Because the world is all about getting the corner office. But the body of Christ is not about any corner offices. Everybody is at the same level. Everybody sits at the same level, at the same table. Amen. So let's go on to verses 7 and 8. He says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Let me stop there a minute. Paul's not talking here about two gospels. He's talking about a division of labor as to one gospel. And that's important because when you, when you go back to what these rival teachers are teaching, uh, one way to look at it is they're creating two families in the body of Christ, those who are under the law and are going to be saved, and then believers who are outside that circle. They say, well, yeah, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
but actually you're not going to be saved until you come in under the law. There's a division there. And Paul here is not saying that there's a division. There's just a division of labor. He's going to the uncircumcised, and Peter is going to the circumcised. And he emphasizes that with verse 8. He says, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, he's talking about God working through Peter in order to bring the gospel to what? To the Jews. Paul says, That same God, God worked also through me for mine, for my ministry to the Gentiles. Same God, same body, but going to different people to bring them in to one family. Amen. And then he goes on to verse 9. He said, And when James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, again, he keeps his distance. He's like, okay, you guys are recognizing these people as pillars. And the pillar reference um, is an allusion to a temple, to God's building, that these three are part of holding up God's building, God's new temple. He said, perceive the grace that was given to me. They perceive that, yes, God is working with Paul. He has given him an apostolic ministry. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, what's important here is that you don't have uh, what Paul is basically saying here to the Galatian believers is that everything was kosher with the Jerusalem apostles. That he went up to Jerusalem, he presented his gospel, and Gentile believers did not have to come in under the law of Moses. And what we're going to see with uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4 is Paul expounding on that gospel that he presented like setting a table before the apostles. Amen. So the Galatian believers get it. It's not just, hey, take my word for it. He's going to lay it out for them. And then we come to Galatians 2.10. He says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So again, let me say that Paul leaves it here that Jerusalem agreed with him that believers did not need to adhere to the law of Moses for salvation. And what we're going to see later on in Galatians is the proper place of the law of Moses. It was just and good and holy. But if believers came under the law now, it would, it would mark the beginning of slavery. And freedom and slavery is a huge thing, is a huge theme in the book of Galatians as we go through it. Amen. So let me say one other thing about verse 10. Paul says, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, Paul was a Pentecostal preacher full gospel preacher, spoke in tongues more than anybody else, he says in Corinthians, and he remembered the poor. This is something that full gospel churches have kind of just left. A lot of full gospel churches have concentrated so much on a prosperity message, and it is what? 
It's giving, so giving will come back to people. And then they say, well, you can kind of give to the poor, but the emphasis has been, well, you give in good ground so you can receive, what, uh, a crop back. And the good ground is all these Christian ministries and preachers and stuff. Paul says here that he was eager to remember the poor. And that's something that we should also be eager to remember to do, to help the poor to remember the poor. Amen. So let me say this. This wraps up um, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Verse 11 and uh, onward is where we, we on the roller coaster, we are at the crest of the hill, and this is where we start the screams. This is uh, the steep descent. This is the turns, the loops, the speed. I mean, everything starts with verse 11. Um, and it's going to be fun because we're going to learn a lot about Paul and the gospel, the law of Moses, about how we as Christians are sons of Abraham, believe it or not. And that goes back to what I said before. You don't hear that today in today's churches, that Christians are actually the sons of Abraham. And that's because that really doesn't fit into a a lot of theological frameworks, but it's right there in the text, and we're going to deal with it. So get ready for the mine train. Uh, Over at Six Flags, they have the mine train. And the mine train, man, there are all kinds of bumps and bruises and everything else, but it's a fun ride, and we're going to go through it starting with the next message. So with that said, let me go ahead and quote to you Galatians 6.18 to conclude. Paul writes there, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen.